Audible for supporting Motley Fool Answers. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com or text FOOL, F-O-O-L, to 500-500. That's audible.com slash FOOL or text FOOL to 500-500 and get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Support for Motley Fool Answers also comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so that you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hi, Allison! In this week's episode, we're exploring ways to reduce anxiety and stress with the help of Joyables CEO and founder Pete Shalik. We're also going to talk about the trend of people raiding their 401k because the balance is just too darn high! And then, surprise, we're going to play a rousing game of Would You Rather. Bro and Rick didn't know this was coming. It's a surprise! All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. Hey, bro, what's up? <laughs> Hi, Allison! Yes, today we're going to talk a little bit about the 401k games people play. So, we all know the stock market has been doing very well. Many people have 401k balances that are looking pretty good these days. So, I ran across an article that was in the Washington Post called Hold Tight or Splurge Booming Retirement Accounts Are Making That a Tough Question by Todd Frankel and Thomas Heath. And basically, what they did was, among other things, they talked to a few financial advisors and got some interesting stories about what people want to do with their new 401ks. For example, take out $20,000 for a vacation. And because this person isn't 59 and a half, they're paying taxes and the 10% penalty. Another person wanted to take out $75,000 to give as a loan to their son so they could buy a house. Um, the article quoted a financial advisor named Jamie Cox, who uh, works for Richmond-based Harris Financial Group. He said, I've seen more money requests for extraneous items in the last six weeks than I have in the last five years. So this is actually something probably attributable to something the, that economists call the wealth effect. And basically it is people want to spend more as their wealth goes up. There's evidence about this. It Rel- also just makes sense. It, do- it does. <laughs> I mean, this isn't like I don't know that a behavioral economist really need to sit on this one for a while. It does. It does make sense, obviously, to a certain degree, as long as it is responsible. It's been noticed uh, when, when their financial wealth goes up, meaning stocks, it's probably even stronger, the evidence suggests, when it comes to your house. So, for example, uh, one study found that for every dollar your house increases in value, your spending goes up six cents. Oh, okay. And it goes the other way, too. So, another study found that for every dollar that your house drops, you cut your spending by 10%, 10 cents. So, to a certain degree, yeah, it does make sense. It obviously goes overboard. Rating your 401k before you're retired just because it's gone up doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. And there are other wacky things that happen when the good times are still rolling. For example, the savings rate goes down. So just recently, the Bureau of Economic Analysis showed that the U.S. savings rate fell to 2.4% in December. And that is the lowest since 2005. Now, the way they calculate the savings rate is a little funky. They, for example, if you buy a car, they figure they assume that you just paid for the car right then and there. But of course, most people don't. They spread out the uh, monthly payments over three to six years. But still, part of why the savings rate last month was low is because a lot of people went out and bought more cars. 
Also, credit card debt is now over a trillion dollars, highest ever, according to the Federal Reserve. So, good times are going. So, why don't I borrow more money to spend more money? It doesn't quite make sense. So, for me, when I think of uh, whenever the market returns above average returns, it's kind of like a loan. We all know that the stock market returns on average 10% a year. Over the last five years, the S&P 500 has turned on average almost 16% a year. At some point, the market takes some of that back. So, to be spending your retirement money before your retirement at a time when the, when the stock market is up, knowing full well that at some point it is going to go down again, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. What's your advice to people to keep this in check? Because I imagine we are all guilty of this to some extent. Right. And, and to a certain degree, it's, it's totally warranted, right? Like you should. Said Rick, who just bought two guitars last week. <laughs> and a harp. And a harp. And a harp. I thought you rented the harp. Rent to own. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I think that's fine, right? Like it's perfectly reasonable to enjoy some of the money you make. It's perfectly reasonable to even take some of your investment successes and enjoy them to a certain degree. To be taking money out of your 401k early to spend twenty thousand dollars on a vacation, that's I think super dumb. I think that's o- taking it overboard. Oh, so. see, you put it nicely. I say that's super <laughs> dumb, and you're like, that's maybe a little extreme. <laughs> Anyway, would you agree it's super dumb? I, I would. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. He would not. I can't get I wouldn't it. Put it. I wouldn't say it's super smart. How's that one? <laughs> so in some cases, you can you can think that there's a good reason to take money out of your 401k to go on a vacation. Not probably not. <laughs> probably not. I just don't like making feel. I mean, that person might be listening to our podcast right now. I don't want them to make them feel bad. Uh, but put the money back if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Audible for supporting Motley Fool Answers. For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com fool or text F-O-O-L to 500-500 and browse their unmatched selection of audio content, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. You can listen to books like The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, which I'm enjoying right now. It's about the extraordinary friendship between Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, two pioneers in behavioral economics. Bro, you already read this book. It's a great read. It's a great book, yeah. Audible's selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and more is unmatched anywhere. You'll find what you're looking for, and your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com fool, or text fool to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash F-O-O-L, or text fool to 500-500. <laughs> stress or anxiety, you're not alone. According to the November 2017 American Psychological Association Stress in America poll, the U.S. Yeah, ready? (laughs) The U.S. is at its highest stress level ever. Really? Well, Mm -hmm. since they've been doing this. So, I mean, I'm sure the Civil War was a much more stressful (laughs) time in America, but apparently in our lifetimes, this is pretty bad. Uh, So, what are we stressed out about? 61% are stressed out about work. 
62% are stressed out about money, and the number one reason is 63% of us are stressed out over politics and the yeah. future of uh, our nation. Not, not surprised. Mm-hmm. Usually, money is the number one source of stress and anxiety. Uh, but according to Gallup, financial anxiety in America actually eased up in 2017, so long as you were a wealthy person. If you were a low-income <laughs> earner, you still have a lot of stress. But what about our millennials? What about them? What about our millennials? 28% of millennials are experiencing so much financial anxiety that it's impacting their job performance on a consistent basis. I'm not surprised at that. Really? No. No, I think so. I mean, there's no. I mean, I've talked before in previous episodes about this whole concept of presenteeism, where you're so stressed that you're at work, but because you're stressed, you're consumed with your problems that you're not fully productive. It doesn't surprise me, especially among millennials with all their student debt and things like that and the high cost of housing. Yeah. Well, tw- 23% are say that financial stress is actually making them physically ill on a weekly or monthly basis. Oh, so, goodness. joining us in studio today, we have a special guest. It's Pete Shalick. He's the co-founder and CEO of Joyable. And Joyable is, I feel like it's too simple to call it an app. So, I think you should describe it for us. Oh, thanks. Uh, Sure. Joyable is an end-to-end mental health solution for folks. So, we help people improve their emotional well-being, no matter what their issue. All the way from stress to serious mental illness, we can help you improve your emotional well-being and be closer to who you want to be. Yeah, and so, Joyable is a benefit that's offered here at The Motley Fool. And uh, so, we were excited about the opportunity to have you come in and talk generally about stress, anxiety, how to reduce that, and then also the intersection of money. Money and anxiety, because after all, bro, we are a money podcast, right? It's the truth, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, could you give us, um, before we get talking about anxiety and stress, uh, why don't you tell us your story? Because you actually have a background more as an entrepreneur and a business person than like a, a psychologist or a therapist. Yeah, uh, thanks. So, it's, it's great to be here, first of all. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, my background is uh, sort of winding, and it all uh, came together with Joyable in some ways. So, uh, actually, in high school, I spent all my free time on mental health. I spent my summers working in mental health facilities. I was taking psych classes at the local community college, uh, reading Freud and Jung in my free time. I was about the least cool just, 15-year-old just you like could possibly conceive of. Um, uh, it, wasn't my, it wasn't the peak of my life, let's say. Uh, and You're I, building the foundation. Exactly. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, and uh, wrote my college essays on being a therapist and one undergrad. And then my, my freshman year, I stumbled into this random opportunity to start a business. And I started, of all things, a laundry delivery service. Uh, I do not like laundry, uh, but I loved the process of creating this business over four years, ran it for a few years, built a small team, sold it, and was hooked. And that convinced me that I wanted to go on the business side instead of on the medicine side. And ended up going and actually being a professional investor for a few years, advised folks at Morgan Stanley, and then invested in a private equity firm called Helmut and Friedman, and came out of that uh, with a, a desire to go back to entrepreneurship and particularly do something in healthcare. Uh, and then my, my passion for mental health came up. I have a bunch of friends and family members who've gone through emotional uh, crises in various ways, and it got me excited about starting Joyable, and that's how it all kind of came together. And now, Joyable relies heavily on cognitive behavioral therapy, and this is where I'm completely out of my waters on understanding this or talking about this, but bro... Um, why don't you ask some intelligent questions about cognitive behavioral therapy? Because you are studying the intersection of money and, and this. So I'm getting my, my graduate certificate in financial therapy from Kansas State. And there is I have taken a few classes that mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. So I'm not an expert. But 
Um, Pete, you can you can tell me if I got this wrong, but basically, it comes down to the way you think and talk to yourself affects the way you behave and the way you feel. But a lot of the things that you think actually are not true, or at least not completely true. That's exactly right. Yeah. So so cognitive therapy relies on you recording these thoughts and analyzing them and questioning whether they are accurate. That's exactly right. So the, the basic premise of cognitive behavioral therapy is simple. It's, it's that it's not a situation that makes you feel anxious or stressed. It's how you interpret it. And by analyzing the things that make you feel a certain way, by looking at the thoughts you have and the behaviors you take, if you change those things, you actually change how you feel. So the easiest way to illustrate this is uh, if I asked you two right now to feel really sad, do you think you could do that, that you could make yourself feel sad right now? Oh, absolutely. How, yeah. would, you, how would you do that? I would think about something bad happening to my family. <laughs> like yes. That would be yeah. the fastest way. Exactly. Right. So yeah. you'd, you'd take a thought, and that thought would drive a feeling. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy is that if you work to analyze your thoughts, because a lot of times your thoughts are automatic. You don't consciously think things. They just come into your brain. And by analyzing those thoughts, you can actually become uh, more in control of them. And as a function of that, you can feel better. And it's really neat, actually. Some research has shown that cognitive behavioral therapy changes the way your brain is structured. So the part of your brain that's associated with fear, the amygdala, which is the reptilian brain, actually changes after you go through a course of cognitive behavioral therapy. So you have less activation there, less blood flow to that part of the brain, and more blood flow to the part of the brain associated with logical thought. So you're basically more in control of your emotions as opposed to having your emotions control you. How do you know when you need help, though? Because it's natural for me to be concerned that my daughter is going to get kidnapped. It's not natural for me to be so concerned that she's going to get kidnapped that I'm never going to let her leave the house. Somewhere in between there is, is I've crossed the line and need some CBT in my life. Yeah, so I'm a huge believer that everybody can improve with CBT. Oh, okay. And that uh, emotional wellness is something that uh, all of us deal with. Everyone deals with stress. Everyone deals with anxiety. And particularly as an investor where you're trying to be as clear and rational as possible, mastering your emotions can allow you to be more effective. But I'll take it a, a, maybe to more directly answer your question. Uh, when it begins to impair your life is the point at which people recommend that you get help. And this is very loosely defined, but when people talk about clinical anxiety, clinical depression, usually what they mean is that it's begun to impair your life and the quality of your life. So everyone feels anxious, but when being anxious makes it so you have presenteeism, so you can't get your work done, or when being anxious makes it so you don't let your kid out, that's a time when you want to actually invest in this and consciously take steps to improve it so you can achieve the things you want to achieve. I remember it was explained to me as almost like a courtroom where uh, you have sides presenting evidence. And when you have something that you're anxious about, to to really look at, like, how likely is that going to happen? Sure, it's likely. Absolutely. And you should take some precaution against it. But to let something that has a 1% or 2% chance of happening run your life, then that's probably not the most healthy way to go about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the interesting thing, sometimes when people hear about changing your thoughts, their initial reaction is, oh, I'm supposed to delude myself. I'm supposed to just think happy thoughts. When in reality, what CBT is about, it's about seeing things more rationally. It's not about saying there's no risk to my daughter or there's no risk to my financials. It's to say, this is what's actually the risk. This is what I can do about it. And here's what happens if things go good or bad. So it's just about creating a more objective view of the world. Like you said, very much like a courtroom. I often think of it as uh, uh, sort of lawyering my thoughts. It's I'm going to analyze them. I'm going to break them down. And I'm going to say, is this true? And uh, that allows you to, to approach them more objectively. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a fair amount of confidential, uh, confidentiality with people who come to Joyable for help. 
Um, but are you able to talk about what are some of the more common anxieties that you guys are hearing about? And then how, what, what are some things that people can do? Absolutely. So uh, we are fully HIPAA compliant. So of course, I can't speak about people individually. Uh, I can speak in, in general terms. We do, we see quite a bit of concern about money, uh, quite a bit of concern about financial wellness, particularly, uh, as you pointed out, the sort of growing inequality uh, people who have more money actually sometimes are stressed about having more money, and people who have less money obviously are dealing with the difficulties of that. That's probably the number one thing we see a lot of. And the number two that we see a lot of is uh, relationships. So uh, concern about people feeling isolated or having difficulties with their spouse or with their children or something like that. And so we, we help folks through the anxiety of how they manage their relationships. So uh, I went through um, the app and it kind of lets you do like some self-diagnosis for like what what you feel like you need help with. And so the app was basically like, it sounds like you need help with focus and breaking the cycle of avoidance actions. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so that it was. Did you like, feel like it was right? I was, yeah, that was the most spot on for me. I'm a generally um, optimistic, happy pretty low stress person. I've got my, this isn't like, this is not bragging. It's just like, I got a good life. Like I'm very lucky and hashtag blessed and all that stuff. Um, so, but yeah, but yes. And then when I saw this, I was like, oh, I need to select bro and be like, hey bro, check out some tactics for um, your avoidance actions that you might be, because you have some, you actually recognize that as a thing that you have to overcome, right? Which one? Avoidance, or I mean, there's so many distraction. Like just oh. at work, like oh, being yes. distracted by so many things. So to your point yes. about how everyone could use help um, from cognitive behavioral therapy, this was one of those things where it's like this. This could help everyone who can't focus at work or whatever. Right, and I've and I've mentioned before in the, in the podcast that I'm an awfulizer. I'm always afraid of the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and and my wife, who who actually has an experience, experience as a cognitive behavioral therapist has said to me, this is what you do. You say, all right, what's the worst case scenario? And you think about it. And number one, how likely is that really to happen? And number two, would it be okay if it happened? Would you still survive? Would the important things still be there? So for me, at least when it comes to money, you know, I'd lose my job and I wouldn't be able to get a new job and I'd have to spend all my retirement savings. Are you worried about losing your job? Well, no, that's the thing. I have in the past. I have in the past. And, and Everybody at home, right? Send your letters to <laughs> keygardener at fool.com and let them know how much you want to save bro. Well, here's to start so, the campaign. But bro, so, you have my support. Thank you, Pete. And, and but Pete, earlier we were talking about the history of The Motley Fool, and we've mentioned it before on the podcast. When I joined, we had almost 200 people. We went over to 400 people, and then we dropped to 70 people. So it's not like it's impossible for a company to go out of business. We saw it, we've seen it in the past. So it's again, it's not an irrational thought, but how likely is that to happen? How likely is it that I lose my job? And if it happened, would I find another job? Yeah. yeah. Chances are probably yes. My life would not end. One great hack that uh, you can use to help you think through those particular thoughts is to ask, imagine a friend was going through what I'm going through. What would I tell that friend? Because we're much meaner to ourselves than we are to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you would never say to somebody else, you're going to lose your job, you're going to burn through your retirement, both because it's not true and <laughs> right, because you yeah. don't, you know, the things we say to ourselves are much harsher. So if you think through it, 
in terms of speaking to somebody else. It can help sort of objectify, sort of make more object the things you're going through so you can work through them in a more rational way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so avoidance actions. These are an issue for both bro and me, <laughs> um, but I'm sure we're the only ones in the world who are suffering <laughs> from this. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to get on Facebook real yeah. quick while you answer. Exactly. Your computer's <laughs> up. It makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's actually it's interesting. There's a, a famous psychologist in the 20th century, a guy named Hobart Mower, who had a theory that uh, the root of all anxiety is avoidance. And the basic premise of his theory is that we're all creatures of habit formation and that anxiety and avoidance uh, becomes a pattern of, of habit formation. So when you feel anxious, you avoid the thing that makes you anxious, and then you feel less anxious, which reinforces the, the sort of action of avoiding. So... If you, let's say, you're supposed to prepare for a podcast and you're feeling anxious about doing it, so instead you go on the New York Times or on Facebook, and that makes you not feel anxious because you're no longer thinking about the podcast, that makes it so you feel better and that reinforces that behavior. The challenge of what exists today is that it's easier to avoid things than it's ever been before. You know, we have more distractions, more information. You can uh, not just read the newspaper in the morning, you can read 17 different sources 12 times a day. And I'm certainly uh, conscious of this. I don't know if anyone else does this, but there are times when I will be working and I'll have opened up a tab and I'll be on the New York Times before I've consciously realized that I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I've opened up a Facebook tab. And it's because I'm avoiding the behavior and I've reinforced that over time. And so being able to to notice that and to change it allows you to take more control over yourself as opposed to having your emotions kind of control your behaviors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the top of the show, we talked about how your background is in finance. And of course, we are a money podcast. And you you also said that a lot of the people who come to Joyable are there for money anxieties that they're feeling. So what's some advice for people out there who are feeling anxious over money, maybe not having enough of it, maybe too much of it, you said. <laughs> That's a problem, problem I'm willing to suffer it's hard through. hard to be this rich. Yes, yeah, yes. it's hard. So what is, um, what is some advice that um, you offer for that, for money anxieties? Yeah, so there, there are a couple things. Uh, the, the first is to what Bro was saying before, really taking stock of where you are and are your anxieties realistic? Are they, uh, are they commensurate with what's going on? Because you can be in really dire financial straits, but for a lot of folks, they feel stressed when they have just some money or they want to have more money because we all are relative beings and we see that somebody else has you know, got millions of dollars when I've got hundreds of thousands or whatever it may be. Um, so the first thing is really taking stock. Uh, the second is, once you've done that, uh, approaching the problem in a way that allows you to, to say, what can you do about it? Because being anxious about whether you have enough money actually is it's helpful for about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to say, this is something I should focus on, this is something I should do. And then it allows you to say, okay, so what should I do? Should I spend more time thinking about my investment strategy? Should I look at a new job? Should I, what, what should I do to uh, improve the situation if I need to do it at all? And so that's really about it. It's about getting out of the unhelpful cycle of, I'm worried about money, I'm worried about money, I'm worried about money, and into, and this is what I can do about it. Yeah, I remember reading a book Similar to, and they're about cognitive therapy, and they're saying similar to what you said earlier that it's not wishful thinking, mm-hmm. it's realistic thinking. And you, either your concerns are not valid, or your concerns are valid, and you should do something about it, but just worrying about it isn't going to help you. Absolutely. And we like to think of ourselves, particularly investors, like to think of ourselves as these objective, rational human beings. But in reality, the vast majority of our brain activity is focused on these base emotional responses, not you know, rationally, what should I do in a given situation? So the more that you can shift yourself to being rational objective, 
the better decisions you can make, the better investment decisions you can make, and ultimately the happier you are in life. Right. And bro, we talked earlier about how so many destructive money behaviors can come from if you are feeling generally anxious and generally not happy. Right. So, you you can hear a lot about people talking about self-medicating, right? Through alcohol or drugs or something like that. But people often use money as self-medication, right? So, that's part of the problem when we look at financial therapy, helping people with things like overspending, compulsive gambling, constantly going after get-rich-quick schemes. Those are often ways that people try to solve problems that obviously are very counterproductive. And there's evidence, actually, that cognitive behavioral therapy can help people in those situations, particularly with overspending and compulsive gambling. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how broad the, the techniques of CBT, which is what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, are. And so it can help you with really, the therapist would describe it as transdiagnostic. It can help you with almost any issue. It's been shown to be effective for different types of stress, whether it's family stress, financial stress. Uh, it's been shown to be effective with phobias if you're afraid of snakes or heights or social interactions. And it's been shown to help with anxiety, whether it's money anxiety or compulsive behavior, whatever it may be. And really, it's just this simple set of techniques that we've almost described on this podcast in just the past few minutes, Mm -hmm. the core concepts of what CBT are, but it's the practice of going through this so that it becomes automatic to you, so that it's internalized, that you can really sort of uh, drive your behaviors by doing it that way. Bro mentioned how The Motley Fool uh, went from a great big company down to a very small company, and we've gone through our ups and downs and our shifts. And you as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you've been through ups and downs. Joyable went through a business model shift, which um, was probably hard, not just for you as a leader of a company, but for your staff and maybe people you may have had to have let go. So, what did you do? What, what does a company that wants to make people happy and less anxious do to keep themselves happy and less anxious when they're going through a rough time? Uh, it's a great question. And being an, an entrepreneur is the most stressful job. I joke all the time that starting a mental health company is the most mentally stressful thing that I've ever done. <laughs> and uh, it really, for us, it's about you know taking our own medicine and following the practices that we believe in. There's no way to eliminate stress or anxiety. A world without stress or anxiety would actually be terrible. You wouldn't look You'd be both a ways. psychopath. Exactly. You wouldn't <laughs> you look both ways. If you didn't feel stress or anxiety, you would be... <laughs> exactly. I remember yeah. actually getting my master's in education, and, and one of the professors said, you want to keep kids at some level of anxiety because it shows to enhance performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you have this sort of optimal zone where you want to be not too much stress, not too little stress. You want to be right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's not about getting rid of these emotions. It's about still being able to do the things you want to do. It's still making good decisions for the business that are objective. It's about treating your people well and treating them objectively. Because when you're anxious, one of the things that's worst about being anxious is that you're kind of uh, a jerk when you're anxious. You know, you become <laughs> you sort of be. self-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so being able to, to manage those emotions as best you can, and I certainly haven't done it perfectly, but it's, it's been really helpful to have these techniques. Uh, my favorite technique actually is a really, really simple thing that I do multiple times a day. Uh, it, it's actually not a cognitive behavioral therapy technique. It's a, a technique that's uh, about, it's a breathing technique called square breathing that's taught by uh, the Navy SEALs and uh, other special forces units for literally when people are under fire to calm themselves down. It takes 60 seconds and it's super simple. All you do is you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for four seconds. You're doing it now. I was. Uh, you ex- <laughs> I was doing it while you were talking, so it's still made for good radio. Uh, <laughs> so you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for four seconds, you exhale for four seconds, and you hold your breath for four seconds. You do that four times. It takes 64 seconds. 
And research has shown that it drops your heart rate and your blood pressure when you do that. So uh, if I ever notice myself in the middle of a meeting or in the middle of an important decision, I feel my, my blood pressure kind of rising, I stop and I'll literally just, you can do it while someone else is talking. It's totally inconspicuous. Yeah. It calms me down. I'll you do caught it me before though. bed. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but I'm, I'm trained in this particular technique. So uh, it, that for me has been uh, one really simple and immensely helpful technique to stay calm. That's great. You talked a little bit about how we are when we are anxious. And before the show, you mentioned uh, your, some thoughts you had on how such things affect people as investors. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, there's uh, quite a bit of research done over time about emotions and decision making. And what they've shown is that uh, your emotions play a very large role in the decisions you make. Even the ones that you perceive to be rational are not actually driven entirely by objective, logical uh, settings. So, for instance, uh, there was a big study done in 1999 that found that uh, when people feel anxious, they skew towards making lower risk, lower reward decisions. Uh, whereas if they feel depressed, they skew towards making higher risk, higher reward decisions. Of course, as an investor, your goal is to be entirely objective and to put together the best portfolio you can without any bias for uh, whether you're doing things that are high risk or low risk. You know, that's all logically determined as part of your asset allocation. Right. So. Uh, it, in reality, the ability to control your emotions allows you to make better investment decisions. And I mean, you can see it through, uh, I mean, most obviously through bubbles like what's going on with Bitcoin, where people, there's sort of fear and greed that drives behavior. And the best investors can avoid both of those emotional charges to be able to make good decisions for themselves. So, for someone who would like to learn more about uh, Joyable and also how they can put CBT to work uh, reducing anxiety in their life, uh, what, what do you recommend? Oh, uh, well, uh, obviously, we believe, or I believe very highly in Joyable specifically, and you can learn more by just going to Joyable.com. You can do it both individually or as The Fool has done, and actually a number of other investment organizations have done, uh, and many other companies. You can offer it as a benefit to all employees to get for free. So, go so talk to your HR person. Talk to your HR person. Go to Joyable.com if you want to check it out personally. And then, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's been around a long time. It's highly effective. So, uh, if you don't want to do something digitally, if you want to see someone in person, try to find a local therapist or psychiatrist who specializes in CBT, and they can help you through it as well. Yeah, I think what's so helpful with Joyable is that it gives you, it's very, it guides you, and it gives you little nudges and bumps and advice along the way. So it's easy. Um, I found it, I found it easy and helpful, uh, and I'm still distracted by the New York Times a lot and going down. It's a process. Different holes of data, but and I, and I will say, as as someone who is married to a therapist, uh, people want to have those appointments on the weekends or at night, whereas if you're using a service like Joyable, you can access that at any time. Sure, any time, yeah. and you can do it in the middle of the day when you're stressed out. Actually, the, the peak time that we see usage is late at night. It's between 9 and midnight local time. That's when you know people are stressed, they're having trouble sleeping, and they want to work through stuff when they feel that way. And yeah. so it's able to fit right into their lives in that nice way. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for studio. having me. It was great to be here. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Or would you rather be a mule? 
It's time once again for a game of Would You Rather. I I actually was like, I think we've played Would You Rather on the game on the show before, but I'm not positive. Does it sound familiar? I don't remember any particularly embarrassing stories, so no, it doesn't sound familiar. I don't think, at all. I don't think we actually have played this on the show, but it's possible we have. So I don't know. Whatever. Feel free to play along at home. There are no winners or losers, just good chat. I want to thank Peter Varley, Matt Trogdon, and Brian Hinman who helped me come up with these. So these oh, are boy. financial related. Would you rather questions? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Would you rather be Warren Buffett, which means that you are 87 years old and worth 93 billion, or be 18 years old and broke? I, I would rather be 18 years old and broke <laughs> because when I was 18, I was broke and I turned out okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so far, only one person that I've asked this question to said they would rather be Warren Buffett. I guess they just wanted to go out on a high note or something. <laughs> would you rather be an average American today or a king 500 years ago? Average American today by far. Yep. With with Rick, I thought he would have debated at least a little bit because he's got a little bit of that antiquarian sort of. Yeah, I studied medieval history. Yes. in college. Yes, yeah. you went to you love Renaissance fairs, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you're like, and because of that, I know that I would rather be an average American. Today. Oh, I know medieval history well enough to know that I do not want to live there. Okay. What if I <laughs> what if I said an average American today or like incredibly wealthy in 1900? Nope. Still no. A Vanderbilt in 1900. When did the Vanderbilt Let's talk get their uh, money? medicine for a moment, shall we? <laughs> How about surgery without anesthesia? <laughs> right. Totally true. There's whiskey. <laughs> Internet was so slow back then. There's no way. No? You're still going to say an average American today? Yeah. It's interesting. How far back would you have to go and be wealthy? Like wealthy in the 70s? That might be kind of fun. Oh my gosh, the, all the polyester and cocaine you can afford. <laughs> all the discos, disco every night. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Maybe. Rich in the 80s? They knew how to be rich in the 80s. Yep. All right, would you rather marry someone who is rich but has low earning potential or someone who is poor but has high earning potential? Wow. I don't understand the question. So would you rather marry someone who comes with a lot of money but maybe doesn't have a longevity, a long runway or much skills or is lazy? Yeah, that's the thing. It depends on why they don't have a high earning potential. I don't potential. know. That's tough. You're going to have to write that narrative for yourself. Or would you rather marry someone who doesn't have a lot of money but potentially is very talented and driven and skilled? Assuming both people are equally likable. Yes. I think I'd go with the money now rather than the money over time. Yeah. Ah, okay. That can be invested, and um, and we can live happily ever after without having to rely on good fortune and you know having a good job. Who cares about potential when you got it now, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd have to, I have to say I'd go with potential, unless in the other situation the person's wealthy and and they're spending their time doing things like charitable work. That's why their earning potential isn't great. Otherwise, someone who's not particularly talented or not like not particularly ambitious. That's why I said equally likable. Yeah. Like you have to That's if, true. If they're just a lazy bum, of course that's not yeah. gonna fly. But Yeah. All right. Would you rather have a million dollar home or a million dollars in long term government bonds? Hmm. Where's this home? <laughs> I don't know, but it's a million dollars. Uh well since government bonds are liquid and you are it's much easier to spend a portfolio of bonds than your house i might be inclined to go with the bonds really housing doesn't really do that much for me only as a parent 
raising a family. Apart from all that, I could live in a car. Couldn't you just sell the bonds and then invest them better? That's that's Bro's point. Yeah. So seems, would you rather have? So what if though it's like a ten year, ten year T bond? A million dollars worth of ten years. Yeah. I mean that's fine. I'm gonna get that. Those are you're like two point seven percent. You're getting the interest. And you have to hold it until until it matures. Oh, if you have to hold it. I don't know. I'm just trying to that's make this tougher, question more difficult for you. And where am I living one. in the meantime if I don't have a million dollar home? Uh, your parents' couch? <laughs> Motley, ten, Motley Fool's yes. nap room? For 10 years? I don't no know. Thanks. No thanks. Assuming I have a, you know, at least a decent apartment or something like that, then yeah, I'll take the tea bed. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if I have to live on the Fool nap couch, then uh, no, I'll take the house, thanks. Yeah. Which never gets cleaned, by the way. I could only imagine what's on that couch. <laughs> Can you only imagine, bro? <laughs> only imagine? Let me tell you some stories. <laughs> All right, last question. You're having dinner with your extended family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. Would you rather try to explain cryptocurrency to everyone oh boy. or sit through hearing each person explain their own personal and incredibly uninformed investment strategy? Oh, I think that would be hilarious actually. I knew by the way, I knew I mean Bitcoin has come down significantly. And right around at the top, I knew it was the top because my 79-year-old mother called me to ask about whether she should invest in Bitcoin. Then I knew something was up. So I, but I would love to hear their investment strategy. This, so this, this one came directly from Matt Drogdon, who had to actually sit through this, where he had to do both. He had to explain cryptocurrency <laughs> and then hear every family member's own stock investing strategy. Rick, how about you? I don't think I'm able to explain cryptocurrency well enough to take that option. But yeah. you're able to sit back and listen and judge silently. Can I call a friend? <laughs> Phone a friend. Yeah, Aaron Bush. Just say get, blockchain. Get Aaron Bush on the line. Blockchain, everybody, blockchain. It's, just, it's about the blockchain, people. It's all about the blockchain. It's all about the blockchain. Actually, come to think of it, I think I could... I've listened to Aaron Bush on this podcast and on the RBI podcast enough times that I think I could make a basic outline of what cryptocurrency is. Okay, so you're going cryptocurrency and bro's going with listening to how... Uh, his aunt has been buying the the peaks and valleys of Home Depot for the last year. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. I am. I think, I think it'll just take less time. Either one is torture, but this one would take. It's just one person talking instead of everybody talking, and I think it'll take less time. I'll go with the cryptocurrency. All right, go. I have it. some relatives who actually are very good investors, so I think I would learn a thing or two. My 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 one of my relatives, who shall rename unnamed, has been doing the like putting spare change and spare dollar bills in a box. And she recently cashed in, and I'm, I think I'm getting this number right. It was like $20,000. She just <laughs> left it alone. I'm going to confirm it because I'm going to see him or her this weekend. He or she wants to remain Wait, she left $20,000 in a box. She was <laughs> putting cash away in like a big box for but like. But doesn't that make you sad? All I mean, it was gaining zero interest, and it, that's, that $20,000 that is, is true, effectively but, worth. But it, yeah, well, that's true. That, that is true. But. As opposed to spending it, it's better to have that money. Yes, it's better to have money than not have money. That's true. I found. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned. I'll find, I'll get more details. I've heard about this story like secondhand. I'm going to talk to him or her this weekend. All right. I All think right. you gave up the the uh, him or her thing halfway through that conversation. Oh, did I? Yeah. I think oh. Allison came in with she, and you confirmed it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> How did you know that? Tossing money into a box and forgetting about it sounds like something a. Uh, an ant would do. Maybe something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the show. 
It's edited crypto blockchainally by Rick Engdahl. Uh, our answers is our answers. Our email is answers at fool.com. The wheels are coming off now. Uh, our email is answers at fool.com. Please drop us a line. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>